barbecue with, with this dude. Dead giveaway. I declare bankruptcy! Hey guys, welcome back to Ableton Cast. Thanks so much for coming back. Uh, today I've got a great episode. Look, I know I say every episode is a good episode, but this one is particularly a good episode. Side note, how's everybody doing with their New Year's resolutions? I didn't even bother making any. I always break them. Just who I am. Anyways, Adam Marcello has uh, played with Katy Perry for over 10 years. Pop royalty. Uh, he's been in the American Idol house band. This guy's played the Super Bowl. I've never had anybody who's played at the Super Bowl, so I think that's pretty freaking cool. So today I'm excited to announce a new sponsor to the show. Um, it is Recording Studio Rockstars podcast, which is Lid Shaw. Um, chances are, if you're listening to me, you've probably heard Lidge's podcast because that's an indication that if you're listening to me, it's an indication you're probably a bit of a podcast junkie. But anyways, in my opinion, Lidge's podcast, recordingstudiorockstars.com, um, his website, of course, amazing, is my favorite one. He interviews all the big boys and girls of sort of like producing, engineering, mixing, um, just incredible. Like I've heard interviews with Andrew Ships, Billy Decker, Steve Albini, Vance Powell, Ross Hogarth, George Massenberg, and the list goes on. I could go on for quite a while. But I just want to welcome them to the podcast. Say thank you so much, Lidge, for being a sponsor. And I also want to encourage you, the listener, to check them out if you haven't already done that. As always, i just like to remind everybody that if they want to get in touch with me, my email is mrkevinswartwood at gmail.com. That's M-R-K-E-V-I-N. Last name's a bit tricky, so listen carefully. It's S-W-A-R-T, Wood, Mr. Kevin Swartwood at gmail.com. All right, folks, so fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. This is my interview with insanely amazing drummer, really cool guy, Adam Marcello. Okay, welcome back to Ableton Cast, and today's guest is Adam freaking Marcello. Adam's uh, played drums and been the musical director for Katy Perry for the last 10 years. He's been in the American Idol house bands. Uh, he also just got done doing a stint with the Seth Meyers late night show. Uh, so Adam's a really talented guy, really nice guy, and I'm so happy to have him. So Adam, welcome to the show. So I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about your journey as a musician. I know you started in Rhode Island and you ended up in LA playing for one of the biggest pop stars out there. Yeah, I mean, in from starting in music, I mean, I, I grew up in a really sort of musical family. So it was always around, uh, you know, my dad, he taught theater. And there were always, so, the, so the, the musical sort of spectrum in my life ran the gamut of, you know, show tunes to, you know, the Beatles to R&B to basically everything. And I, I loved it. I, I consumed it all, you know, and uh, it sort of set me on this path. You know, I, I played other instruments growing up, but then I, I always wanted to just, I always considered myself a drummer, you know. Uh, I always tell the story. I saw Buddy Rich on the, the Muppet Show, like a rerun where he's having a drum battle against Animal, and that was it. I was like, that's what I want, that's what I'm going to do. And my parents were super supportive, you know, so that that was the, the beauty behind it all. They were 100% backed me up, you know, didn't push me into anything, but definitely supported any anything that I wanted to do and then you know I got I just it started to get more serious in junior high and high school and then I ended up going to Berkeley in Boston because I you know lived I grew up in Rhode Island about an hour away it was 50 50 miles from my parents house to the dorm I clocked it on my car so it was really you know just far enough 
to be, I gotta live there, but close enough where I can sneak back and, you know, bring some laundry. You know, the, the college life. Um, but yeah, so I, and it's an amazing, amazing experience there. Amazing teachers and, you know, I, I learned so much there. And just being immersed in that environment where everybody is, you know, shooting towards the same goals and it was just a, a great sort of launch pad for me. And then I, you know, met a bunch of friends there and we were in bands and played music together and we all sort of just packed up and drove over to, drove out to LA, you know, it's that go West story, you know? <laughs> was it quite hard getting your start in LA? Yeah. You know, I, I got really fortunate very early because I, I, and, and a lot of the contacts that I made and friends that I had at school were doing the same kind of thing. You know, we knew who the sort of writers and producers were. And when I got to L.A., you know, I was playing gigs with everybody, but my main sort of work was, you know, session work. That's kind of what I always wanted to do was to be like the session guy. You know, I wanted to be Steve Gadd and play on everybody's records, you know, like every drummer. <laughs> but uh, so I I was getting on like movie scores and commercials and stuff like that. And it was really great and th that got me sort of through the first sort of uh getting to know you part of moving to a new city you know because it was it was good work and and it also you know i was still playing drums and playing drums with everybody on the scene and the scene was really growing at the time of all these singer songwriters and you know myself and this bass player carson cohen we basically were the the backing band for this whole, you know, run of singer-songwriters. We were just like the rhythm section for hire. So how did you get to that point? You know, you've gone out to L.A. Were you sending out emails? You know, were you making phone calls? How did it work back then? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really just going out and being in people's faces and playing every show and taking every gig, you know, the gig that you take and everybody says the same thing. There's no like, there's no magic formula on how to get jobs, but you know, there's auditions and stuff, but I don't think I've ever gotten a gig through just like a cold audition call. It's always been, I'm out playing a free gig with one of my friends, you know, at a club or sitting in and somebody else sees me and they're like, Hey, can you come and play on my record? Or can you play my show? And, you know, it, it's the, the more you do that, the more people see you. And, you know, I always say, if, if you know, if you can play, that's, that's the first step, but you got to be cool and people are going to call you back. You know, if you're easy to work with and you're not, there's no weird hangups of, you know, it's, it's the usual story, you know, and it's just kind of being out there and, and playing with everyone. Yeah. That's the story that I've heard over and over again. You know, that it's obviously very important to be a great player. Exactly. But so much of it, you know, comes down to just being a good a good person that's easy to be around because you actually spend, you know, the largest amount of time of just waiting around to go on stage, don't you? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Sitting on a bus or sitting in a room, you know, you see a lot of, you have a lot of time with those people. And, and that's the thing. Yeah. When you're in a touring situation, you, it, it's, it has to work. I mean, I've been in situations where there's been some off, you know, personalities don't necessarily match. And it's, even if it's, even if you're not involved in that, it's hard to be around, you know, because there's, there's clashes and it's, and it, it just sort of makes everything tense and you know but you're right like two hours a night we're playing music the other you know rest of the day you're hanging out so it it, it does help a lot to be cool and easygoing so we definitely are going to talk about ableton but i wondered if i could ask you one more question that's not about ableton sure so i wanted to ask you what's it been like to be the musical director of Katy Perry's band. I'm sure it's changed a lot um, from 10 years ago. Yeah, I mean, it. it's really funny how I I sort of... Well, first off, the, the, the role of the musical director is to... I mean, there are different 
sort of versions of what a musical director can do. Um, on the pop gig, it's, you know, coming up with arrangements for songs, uh, getting tracks. If you're playing to backing tracks, preparing all that stuff. Um, and being the sort of conduit between the, the artist and the band, you know, you're the point person to, you know, do that translation because not every pop, I mean, with Katie, she's great. She's a musician and she, she knows what she's doing and she's very involved. But a lot of times you can be in situations where the artist is separate and they don't want to be involved and you're the point person where they come to you and you have to create what they want and then present it back to them with the band setting and you know so that's sort of the main purpose of the musical director and you know like I said Katie is great because she it wants to be involved in everything and, and has her hand in every element of her performance you know every costume every every you know arrangement everything that happens goes through her you know and that's that's great because you know you're not necessarily fumbling around trying to you know make something that might work or you know she's very specific about you know what she wants and sort of you know back in the day you know going back to like our my origins in LA and everything it she was part of that scene you know that singer-songwriter scene and we would play these gigs and she would come sit in and that's how I sort of stumbled into it you know she she had already had a career and she had been like signed and dropped a few times and I, I kind of knew who she was and and like everybody knew each other you know and uh she called me to put a band together for some random show and this is before her her first big, uh, big record came out and it was like a New Year's show, I think, in San Francisco or something. And I called some of my buddies that I played with, and you know, we we there was some. There, one of the guitar players was already, you know, good friends with her, and he was playing with her. And so we put this thing together. We drove up to San Francisco, played a show, and it was great. And then after that, the next thing was sort of along those same lines. She had a gig at South by Southwest, a couple of gigs there, and we formed this thing and drove out to. Uh, Austin and played some shows and then you know that was probably March of that same year and then later on we played it just randomly sort of picked up where all of a sudden and, and she there was no like official like band or thing at that point she was just calling in people to play shows you know and and you're right it didn't pick up until Warp Tour that was like the first official tour and again, this is before her first record. So it was really fascinating to be a part of that from the beginning, because when we started, you know, we were on the second stage. She wasn't even on the main stage of Warp Tour. We're on the second stage and, you know, playing in the afternoons. And then her record came out and her first single, Kissed a Girl, came out and it blew up. And then the second single, Hot and Cold, came out and it was like un sort of undeniable at that point. And she was getting really, really popular and we started to play on these TV shows. And then people started to come to Warp Tour specifically to see her, you know. And it was cool. I mean, it was super fun. You know, it was Katie and like a bunch of metal bands and like the band 303 was on the lineup at the time. And, and it was just a great hang. Um, But, and then they wanted her to, you know, move to the main stage, but she said, no, we're keeping it in second stage. And you know, where, where, and it was great. It was a really fun tour. Exactly. And, you know, we, we were on a few of the songs cause her first record was pretty, it was, it was like a band record. You know, there was more live instruments, live performances. Um, but there were a couple more programmed type songs. And back then this was probably what? Oh, eight. That was when I was, I basically mixed everything down onto, I was using an iPod. Like running track from an iPod ran, you know, yeah, split, you know, left and right, send the click down right and the track left mono track to the house. And then, you know, I'm playing to a click and yeah. And so that's the way we did it on Warp Tour because it was kind of, you know, throw and go. Like we rehearsed the songs, but it wasn't like we had a big production team that we, you know, we were just out there. And then you know, that's where I picked up 
Ableton. So about like 08, 09-ish. I guess 08 because it was on that tour. I started to, I presented it to management as, you know, this is something that we can do that will, this is, this is where, if she keeps on this path, this is where she's headed, you know. And I sort of temped up a whole, you know, template of a show and how it could run. And we basically implemented it. So I was learning on the fly, like on the bus. I was, you know, programming the show and figuring it all out as I could go. I mean, this, again, this is like the same story that I know a lot of guys have done. They just, out of necessity, you know, you you go for it. And Ableton, for me, you know, there was Pro Tools, there was Logic. I don't even know if Logic was a thing then, but there was like a couple of other programs, but Ableton is is and was the the most, you know, user-friendly, open way of doing things. And it made the most sense to me. What version of Ableton was that that you would have been using back then? (sighs) Maybe eight, seven or eight. Yeah, maybe whenever, whatever it was in the summer of 2008. So maybe it was eight, but I don't know. You know, I'll have to look back at my 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 history in on in Ableton and see what it is that's a great question i'd love to know uh but yeah and a lot's changed since then but the core of the program is remains you know the thing that makes it beautiful the simplicity and the open source of it all remains and that's what made it so great and then you know so then we went on a whole the, that warp tour spiraled into another tour right away and it wasn't until like we did like an MTV, you know, tour where we played a bunch of festivals and stuff. And so that's when I started to use Ableton and then we were doing more TV shows. And it wasn't until, you know, it was after, it was the next year, so 2009, when we, she had an, her first official tour. I think it was called the Hello Katie tour. And that was the time when I could sit and really work stuff out and you know have it wasn't just doing it on a on a bus from gig to gig you know i could actually sit and and make things work the way that i want them to work um and it was really you know tricky and and fun and fascinating and you know and we were just using it for playback at that point and i was using you know pads and triggers through an spdsx the old gray spdsx you know and it it was probably near the end of that tour where I start, where I discovered sort of, you know, instrument racks and, and automation and stuff like that, which goes to the next tour where it was full on Ableton with, you know, running all my sounds and, and all the, all the samples and everything, all keyboards, everything running automation through uh, instrument racks. I think I saw a video of your setup online. This is maybe about five years ago, and you were Mm. using Ableton. Uh, But you also were running the pads through Mainstage, and I was just wondering why at that time you were choosing to run it through Mainstage instead of Ableton. Well, there are a couple of reasons, mainly for latency purposes, because, um, you know, my whole thing was you know, especially for that, the 2000, I don't know, whichever tour it was, the, the uh, California Dreams tour with her huge record that had Teenage Dream and California Girls and, you know, all these mega hits. Um, That was the tour that I dug really deep into all that stuff. And, and I didn't want to have, you know, those songs had gotten progressively more and more programmed sounding and more synthy. And I didn't want to, my approach wasn't going to be, I'm going to have 10 pads to hit because, you know, the snare drum is going to change four times before I even get to the chorus of the song. I'm, I don't want to have, you know, three acoustic snares and, you know, four pads dedicated to snare drum sounds. So that's when I, the automation, you know, when I, when I figured out, you know, chain automation and, and mapping it to, to MIDI envelopes when I, when I discovered that and I had like help along the way, there were great people that I spoke to that, you know, had been doing similar things. Uh, but at the time it was sort of like the wild west with this kind of stuff. Um, 
it blew my mind though. What a like awakening when, you know, I could map, I have a, I have zero to 127 to map samples. I can do, it's like the sky's the limit, you know? And, uh, so then, you know, I, when we did that, it was basically for latency purposes on the kick and the acoustic drums, like the acoustic kick, acoustic snare, um, latency wise, I found this program, uh, our, our, our track guy, Cole discovered this program called, uh, app trigger. It's a plugin and it basically converts audio to a MIDI signal. So you don't need a brain, a drum brain or a converter or anything. It does it in the box and it's a great program and you could run automation through it at the time. So it was like this beautiful plugin that he found and it wouldn't it didn't work inside of ableton so we were running it through main stage so all my samples were held in main stage all the automation was coming from ableton still so it was just sending the the message across and but then they changed app trigger upgraded to you know their 64-bit version and they took away the open automation you could only do like round robins and you could set an automation pattern, but it wouldn't accept CC MIDI CC information anymore for automation. Um, so that was a drag. So now it's back to into a drum rack and the latency issue. You know, I I feel like that was a product of the time too. You know, all you know, I'm, the TM6 Pro, Roland TM6 Pro, and even the SPDSX, their latency is so low these days. You and you don't really, I don't notice it. It's mainly for the front of house guy who's mixing the acoustic drums with triggers. If that balance isn't there, then they have all their equations of how far they need to be to make it work. And like the, I don't, I don't get that far into it, (laughs) but you know, they have their whole systems and if it doesn't work for them, then you have to kind of alter and you can, you can fix those things by you know, rolling off the transient attack and stuff like that. As long as you still retain the sound you need to get, there are workarounds if there are latency issues. But frankly, now it's gotten so good and, you know, gear is getting stronger and stronger that the latency thing is kind of going away. But that was the main issue to to go through main stage at the time. Are you guys using Ableton in session view or arrangement view? Um, well, right now the, the playback is coming from, he's moved over to pro tools now. (laughs) It's a never ending, you know, search. So playback solely is coming from, uh, pro tools and that's sending MIDI information into, you know, my Ableton session, which is just for drum racks, just for my automation. Yeah, sure. So you're not controlling any of the tracks anymore in Ableton. No, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's we it's yeah, it all comes through Pro Tool Pro Tools and and it all this all lives, you know, off stage. I don't I have a screen where I can see stuff. That's the way we've sort of done it is and and you know, I it, it's a screen share so I can if something blows up or you know, the track guy, you know, has to bail or something, you know. <laughs> I can I can still control it all and I have you know, a split screen of the, the, the session, the playback session and any, you know, instrument racks that need to be adjusted. So I'm guessing before you had your own playback guy that it was you controlling Ableton. Oh yeah, absolutely. Was it you and a laptop? Was that how you were running it? It was me and a laptop that I, you know, put in one of those little flight cases I had I don't even remember what interface I was using at the time, but it was not amazing, but <laughs> I mean, it worked. And, uh, but yeah. And then I would trick, I would use, uh, when I switched to pads, I, I used the SPDS X as a, like a transport just to start and stop. So I had it mapped to scroll through tracks, start and stop. And then if there were any songs, you know, certain things where we were on track for a little bit or we, where we would start off track and then it would come in. That was all mapped out within uh, within Ableton. And that would be on, uh, oh, geez, you know, I always mess it up. Session view is... So session view is up and down. 
And then you've got arrangement right. view, which is the traditional one running left to right. Exactly. Yeah. So session view is what I would run it in to, you know, to, to fire, to split up tracks in, in sort of clip mode, you know, that's the, that's the way that I would run it. Now he's running Pro Tools in sort of more traditional, but it doesn't matter. In, in my Ableton session, it's just in, it's in session mode with uh, instrument racks. And there's no, there's no, uh, there's no playback coming from it. So, and it's great. And it, and you know, that's my go-to at the moment. Whenever I do clinics or master classes or something like that, I just run it all from Ableton in session view. And you know, it, it's, that's, it's beautiful. It's simple and, and it's never knock on, you know, whatever. I've never had any real issues. The only issues are, you know, connection issues where, you know, Maddie goes down or, or, you know, I, I actually, there's this one story of, and this was really early on with just me. We didn't have a playback guy. We had maybe two techs and we were going to do a TV show and we were going to do that song, California Girls and Snoop Dogg was sitting in. He's going to rap. <laughs> we were like, this is the greatest. Yeah. And, and something, this was in the day that you had to, you still do have to on some gear, but you know, where everything had to be like plugged in in the certain pattern, you know, you plug it in, then you turn it on, then you turn the computer yes. on. If you do it in anything out of sequence, it it's just not doesn't work. communicate. Yeah. So, you know, I we're, we did it. Soundcheck was great. Snoop Dogg was rapping. We felt like a million bucks. And here we are coming out of commercial. We're about to go, and I've got nothing. Front of house does nothing. They've got no no playback. And so I'm freaking out. And I can see it, and it looks like it's communicating, but they don't have anything. Basically, what had happened was, you know, one of the local, you know, crew for the for the gig, you know, the awards show, tripped the cable, unplugged it, and then just plugged it right back in. Yeah. Not not knowing that the sequence was destroyed. Yeah. And so, you know, I did. I was like, oh my god. Okay, we've got you know, however many minutes, two minutes, for this commercial. I'm gonna. I'm going to reboot this computer. <laughs> so it might not boot back up, but we're going to go with it. So, you know, it, and it worked. It ended up working. But in the process of watching, you know, the old MacBook load up, I was like... Oh, it's a scary you know, time. To, yeah, I'm on mic to everybody being like, hey, can you cover this part if we don't have playback? You know, I got a, I got a separate click that I'm running now. So can you, would you be able to play this on guitar instead of, you know, it was just like trying to come up with a last minute arrangement if we needed it but we didn't luckily oh man Jeez. those moments are so insanely stressful aren't they yeah totally but you know again nothing nothing to do with a fault of ableton itself it was just the unplugging and plugging in you know so luckily it hasn't failed yet can but. you tell me about your current setup i'm sure you're running a macbook pro but which one is it? What audio interface are you using along with it? You know, the show, for the Katie show, they're still running. He has their laptops from maybe 2015, I want to say. Maybe 2017. I think they're 2017s. Cause we, but we, we kept everything sort of... We we did, it hasn't progressed yet. We're actually in the process for the next run. We're gonna have to redo everything. But he's running Antelope Gear. Uh, I think he's running Orion's right now. Possibly Orion's. Yeah, that. And then because everything changed as it grew, and and our playback guy is like a real wizard. So he has taken the reins on the whole, the setup and all of that. Um, and I just said it's it's great because I'll send him just programming information you know this is sort of my my goal to try to teach people how to do you know there's there's a handful of guys that are doing it but still it's not it, i feel like this hasn't become the standard yet do yeah you know what i mean i do know what you mean um i think most guys uh, like myself when i started were just using ableton to fire off tracks uh, which is yeah. a great way to start but of course there's so much power under the hood in Ableton. There's uh, so much more that it can be done. So I think it's amazing what you're doing and what information you're trying to get out there. Yeah. And, and, you know, not, and not even just for drums too, you know, nobody has g guitars are all wireless. There's not a pedal on stage, you know, all of their pedal changes. Well, they're on, they're on hardware now they're on fractals and Kempers and stuff. 
uh, and that's those sound incredible. Those things. Um, yeah. Reamp yeah, one of do. those, and they sound like a million bucks. So they're running fractals, and all their changes happen the same way. And the synth patches and splits, they're all you know predetermined. So nobody changes a patch you know are those program changes coming from ableton or would they be coming from pro tools now now well yeah now they come from the the main playback so whether it be ableton or pro tools right now it's it's been pro tools but you know for the for years and years it was ableton and it'll probably go back to ableton who knows <laughs> you know yeah it's sure. whatever the necessity is at the time or what the you know he i think he was more of a pro tools guy he's yeah. an ableton whiz too and uh but I think he was, for the last tour, more comfortable using Pro Tools for certain things. So he just wanted to do that. But Ableton is still running, you know, instrument racks and, and drum racks and all that stuff. And then, uh, but yeah, two tours ago, I guess on the Prismatic tour, he Ableton was, he was running all video. And we were yeah. running all our audio and instrument racks from Ableton. It was pretty intense. And it's all split up, you know, because we, we have dedicated computers for each sort of instrument. So would they be Mac Pros running everything under the stage? No, we're still running MacBooks. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. And that's, it's it's great, man. Like, I, I'm i all about, and, and in my own stuff, I try to keep things, my whole goal is to make things as simple as possible, you know, because this can be done you know, I, my my sort of personal like uh, masterclass rig is uh, uh, an Antelope uh, Zen Studio. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it was a great little box that they discontinued. I think they've come out with like the Zen Tour now, but uh, it's got a bunch of built-in preamps, and you know, you can matrix it out to run 64 tracks or something. I mean, it's something amazing. But uh, you know, I just mix in the box and send out you know, a left and right to front a house. Uh, but it's beautiful. It fits in a backpack. Um, I carry an SPDSX on my shoulder, you know, and I can do, I can basically do, and, and a couple triggers and a, you know, a KT-10 for a, a kick trigger, a dedicated kick trigger. I can do the exact same show drum wise that that i do in the arenas i could do it in a in a pub down the street you know like that it, this is the beauty of it and this is what i try to like put forth to everybody it's like you don't need a whole ton you don't need a rack of gear to do this you can do it with really simple simple elements and it's all because ableton is so powerful that you're able to do this um and you know it's to me, that's the goal is to get everybody on board. So you have your playback guy and as a drummer, okay, so my setup is I have four pads to my left and then I have a separate bar trigger over to my right for like hi-hats and, and claps and stuff like that. And I have a KT-10, or actually I, I use the KD 7 on a remote pedal so I can put the, you know, the KD 7 the older sort of uh, the pedal with the reverse beater it hits down on the trigger. Yeah, I do. I think I've seen a it's video. great. Yeah, they look really cool. Yeah, those are my favorite because I put it on a remote pedal and then so the slave side of a double pedal. Yeah. I just, I can put it right next to my kick pedal so there's nothing, you know, nothing rattling or hitting anything. So they're right next to each other so I can, you know, go back and forth if there's any like really quick uh switches, which is usually the case in this kind of music. And then I have my acoustic snare, my main acoustic snare is a trigger, I have a side snare that has a trigger and my kick has a trigger. So that's it. That's those are the only sort of hardware elements and then all the it's just a constant, you know, switch happening everything's changing always um especially in a song like like roar for instance that was sort of yeah. the, the blueprint for me of how how it can be how great this can work you know that sort of dictate that song dictated the setup where i'm putting the pads because everything else you can you can do it on one pad if you really want to you know <laughs> you can automate yeah. it to work all on one pad but a song like Roar, there was so it's such a 
and and these are so specific the sounds are so specific you know you need to have them so that sort of dictated where everything was and you know i built this whole process for you know and 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 it's great and it makes it so you don't have to be i don't have to remember where anything is i know that i have one pad that's my going to be my main snare there are there are cases where it may switch but for the most part one of my pads is my snare pad one of my pads is going to be for like miscellaneous hand claps snaps stuff like that and then i have two others that sort of are modular that are are used only in specific songs yeah and you know the bar trigger is going to be hats and you know i have it programmed so that they open and close or anything like that that i need it does it by itself and it, and it make it frees you up to play more as a musician you know i i look at a snare drum and i look at a tom or a cymbal and i know what those things are going to do when i hit them i can see it i see a snare drum i know what sound it's going to make when you see a pad you have no idea the sky's the limit you know, it could be anything yeah, especially when you guys have such a big set on tour. Like, I'm guessing you guys do sort of like 18 or 20 songs. Yeah, something like that. And there's transitions and there's, you know, stuff like that. It's like a two-hour, a good two hours, you know. So there would definitely be the opportunity to forget uh, what you had assigned to sort of each pad, right? Definitely. And if you don't play a song in a while and she'll, like, if you're doing like, because we're in the one-off series right now, so we're just doing these one-offs. And sometimes she'll she'll come out with a song and you'll be like, oh, geez, how did I, you know, I know the parts. I know how to play this song, but where did I put that hand clap? Was it like on pad three or pad four? Sometimes yes. you have to do that. But for the most part, I, I have it sort of dedicated to where it needs to be. And it, it yeah, does sure. help. And, and you are, because drummers, we don't want to have to think about that kind of stuff. You know, drummers are a visual, drums are a visual instrument, like piano. You see every note in front of you, you know. Yeah, it's not like a, a trombone or a trumpet where you have to sort of in your head conceptualize what's happening. You have three valves to make all these sounds, so you have to do more of it in your brain. Um, so drums, I see it, I hit it, and that's the sound. So I tried to build that, you know, with this whole using this whole method. That's what sort of made it so awesome to me at the time that you could produce this exact performance. And I still feel like I'm I'm a drummer. I'm not. I don't have yeah. twenty pads set up that I have to roll down to to make one sound, one part of a song happen. You know. So that was great. And it, you know, it's it's a lot of information. It's it's super dense. And and like I was saying, you know, every sort of master class or clinic that I do, it it started to turn into because I'll play a song like Roar. I'll do all the other drummy stuff too. And then I'll play Roar and all the questions are about like, well, why, how did you do that? How did you get that pad to change? You know, cause you hit it twice yeah. in a row and it was two different sounds. So then it goes into this whole other nerdy conversation of, you know, well, see, you have MIDI envelopes and, you know, so it, it's, it's kind of tricky, but I'm trying to get it out there where it's more accessible so that drummers themselves can do this. You know, you don't have a guy yeah. doing it for you. You go in, you do your own programming, you it you make it where it's comfortable for you, and you hand your playback guy a, a session or a USB stick with a MIDI file on it, you know? And say yeah. pop it in and you run it to my my drum rack or my or whatever. And and it's a go. Like that to me, that's what I want to get out there to the world where it's not this is not hard. It's not like super difficult to to take on board. It's just exposing yourself to it, you know? So when you have a new tour coming up, I wondered how much time you try and allow yourself to do all the programming of, you know, kicks and snares and claps, dropping all that stuff into mm. place. Is there a certain amount of time that you like to set aside for that? Yeah. Um, it depends. It depends on how how, like, dense the stuff is, you know? I mean... And, and there's always a starting point, you know, I tried it for as far as drums and my, my drum approach. Um, I try to approach it. I always try to start basic, like start it as close to the original as possible, present that. And then if she comes back 
and says, okay, I want this section to be more live. How do we do that? And they're like, oh, okay, we can implement this. I can put it, you can put that sound on a trigger with an acoustic snare at the same time. So the chorus gets elevated with some acoustic sounds, or it could go the other way where she's like, I just want it super electro. You know, there's a new song that just came out. Uh, she just released maybe like end of the year last year called Harley's in Hawaii. And it's yeah. super great. It's so much fun to play. And it's straight up 808s, you know, that that 808 thing, like old school 808 sounds. And I'm playing it all on pads. I think I maybe use, I keep the the 808 hats on track. Yeah. And I play it, uh, an acoustic hat along with it. But other than that, it is all 100% pads. And, and it sounds great. And it's so much fun to play. But it's, you know, again, an automation disaster. There's so much happening, you know, even to make, you know, the 808, you know, you've got your backbeat and your groove and it's got those 808 toms going, you know, that's all automated in there so I can play it and still keep the groove going, you know, all that stuff has to happen. So the, the approach would be to, to get it as close to that as possible and, uh, making samples of the original stems as much as I can. If, if I can't, or if something is too, you know, close or too, I can't get a good, good sample of it. Um, then I'll, I'll recreate it myself. And, and, and that's just, you know, using your ears and, and knowing what drum machines are what, and what sound, you know, the difference between a DMX clap and a, you know, 909 clap, you know what I mean? Sure. And yeah. hearing these things and, and doing it over time, you get to know you like, you recognize a Lindrum. I mean, everybody could probably recognize the Lindrum sound, you know? So yeah. it's knowing those machines and, and using your ears to try to recreate that. Um, that's sort of the, the, the process there, but try to get as much from the original sounds as possible, because even though the, like this, that song is super 808, you know, it's been, it's been tweaked and it's got its own style and vibe and, it, and, you know, they, it sounds great. A, a lot of times though, you know, there are songs, especially with Katie, like, like wide awake is a good example of a song. Like it's a, they're drum machine but they're not super recognizable because they're really creative sounds and, yeah, or even roar for instance, like that's, those are crazy sounds like, you know, that's like a really specific thing. And, you know, luckily I, I've been able to, to get good passes of those. Um, but yeah, like that's, that's super fun to me, but yeah, back to your original question of how much time, I mean, it, it depends on, on the amount of stuff in there and how much of it I need to do. But as far as writing in, coming up with parts and writing in the automation, you know, I've been doing it for so long and I have, I have the template that I can do it really quickly, you know? Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, it, it, cause it's, it's all mapped out already. I don't have to figure anything out. I know where I want things and I know I hear something and I can visualize where it's going to be ahead of time, you know? So as the musical director, is it your job to decide what will be on playback and what's going to be played live by the musicians? Yeah, well, right now her she has a musical director. I'm I'm the band guy now, the yes. band leader now. So Chris Pooley is doing all arrangements and stuff now and like so he's sort of the he'd be the the one-stop shop for the rest of the band to be if there's like you know, like we'll get the tunes and everybody, and this is sort of the way we've, we've done it the whole time, even on like back past tours, people, we get the tunes, people come in with their, what they feel like. Cause you know, you have to trust other musicians, you know, I'm not a guitar player. I'm not going to dictate 100% what a guitar player should do. If they, you know, they know what, when you hire good people, they know like what sound is produced by what. Do you know what I mean? They know like, yeah. oh, that's a strat. I mean, I can hear things like that, but they'll know all the specifics and they know exactly, you know, what inversions are going to make something sound the way it should sound. Um, so they always come in and have something prepared and we run down, we, we play all the tracks, run down everything, go person by person and say, you know, okay, what do you have? And then 
adjust from there. And a lot of times it just kind of works, you know, and all the stuff that we can't physically do, because it's not a big band. It's two guitars, bass, drums, one keyboard player and two singers. And that's it. Yeah. And so anything else we can't like physically do as with that instrumentation, we we put that on track as supplemental tracks. It's, we're never in a situation of, you know, we're playing, we're playing everything and we're just playing on top of everything. It's always, you know, Ableton to me has always been the other musician in the room. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. So it's always whatever can't be done by the humans, the tracks pick up, you know, like I'm not going to, I'm not going to pick up a tambourine while I'm playing some crazy hi-hat part or whatever. I'm, I'm not going to just put the stick down and pick, pick up a tambourine to play it. Like, that can live on a, on a track, you know, like that's my, my percussionist lives on in Ableton, you know? Yeah, sure. So I just had another question sort of about that. Um, when you're playing live, do you have a way to communicate with the other band members? Like I know some guys have like a mm. so-called sort of silent mic that only the musicians could hear on stage. Yep. We all have talkbacks um, and they go to each other. Um, sometimes they go to Katie. It depends on the situation. Mid song, none of our talkbacks will go to Katie, but in between songs, we can get in touch with her if there's like, or, and she can get in touch with us too on a, on a separate talkback, but they also go to the front of house and they go to uh, monitor world and playback. Yeah. So everybody's in the loop. And I think techs too have their own little mic station somewhere, but you know. I, we never, yeah. I've never, I'm so like in my own little satellite world, I never call text for anything, you know? Um, yeah. but yeah, like, uh, would there be any common things that you would be saying to band members while you guys are playing? Uh, not really. There's a lot of jokes that go around, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. random yeah, things sure. like in the moment. But, uh, you know, we just played, we were in India in, I guess, November of last year. And something happened, you know, she was, she went off to do a costume change and there's this whole intro thing that we play. And then it goes into one of her songs and then she comes out right at the start of the first verse and starts singing, you know? Um, so she didn't come out and we're playing the first verse. And then one of the background singers just started singing the first verse. So we got on mic and was like, just, you know, you take this one because you know, someone's got to sing. So yeah. just start singing. She'll come in. Katie, if you can hear me, you come in on the chorus and, and it'll be yeah. great. And it'll seem like a big reveal on the chorus. Chorus comes around. She's still not there. <laughs> so we're like, okay. Oh man. And then I hear all this chatter on the mic. And then all of a sudden she got on her mic and she was like, stop and made a big joke out of it. Basically one of her costumes, she was doing a costume change and it was like, we were playing outside and humidity was a million percent and yeah, she sure. like got stuck and then the costume like ripped or something. <laughs> so it was like, she got back into her original outfit, whatever, whatever it was. So she came out and made a big joke out of it. And like, you know, and then we just played the song again, you know? So yeah, that's a perfect example of where talk back comes in because you're like, we're having this freak out conversation to each other that no one in the crowd would hear, you know? Yeah. So at that point, when she wants to do the song again, I take it the playback tech can just line it up at the right point and you're ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, no. Yeah. We, we had it lined up so we could start the song right at the start. You know, that's, that's easy that, you know, and he's great too. Like having a playback guy, you know, when it was just me, I, I was, there were certain songs that I would split up because I know that she would come in. She would want to hold a section here and there or, yeah, you know, so I would have to have that split up so I can fire it from my pad at the right time. And I'd always set it up a bar, a bar late. So a bar, I would chop a bar off the top of the phrase so that when she starts singing, I can hit it at the start of the next bar and then we're lined up. Right. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but with the playback guy, it's great because he's always on the ball. He's got he's a musician as well, so he's got great ears and he can hear any little nuance. If there's anything, I, I swear he's like living in the Matrix, man. He's like he sees it all before we do, you know? Like, yeah, sure. And he knows like she'll come in in the wrong place or someone will do something in the wrong place, and he's right there. And I always 
will get on mic and be like, hey, Cole, did you catch that? Just And he's like, yep, I got it. <laughs> Just to make sure we have that communication there to be like, okay, cool. Or like, you know, something comes in early. He's always ready to go. It's it's really great. And, and so it's pretty seamless in, in that regard. So if that happens, he's able to just line it up on the fly and you're good to go. Yeah, because he's more in a, in a tra- even on Ableton, he was in more of a like traditional view where you can see the, the whole track. So yeah, he sure. can he can fly it in from wherever, you know, and and um, yeah, it, it's great. And like I was saying, you know, it's still when when it happens, you still get that fight or flight moment where you're like, oh, my God, what do I do? You know, yeah, but yeah. that goes away in a second as soon as we get on our talkbacks, you know, and it's and it's fine. But it's funny with all these, you know, fail safes and things that we have in place, you it never goes away. That fear, like when something goes wrong, that initial like horror is it just still gets you for a second, you know? <laughs> yeah, I totally understand. Uh, so back in the days when you were controlling Ableton, did you ever have it go wrong? And if so, what did you do to try and recover? Um, yeah, I think, you know, anytime... I'm trying to think. Again, it, it wouldn't have been... It wouldn't have been an Ableton fault. But yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, what would I have done in the... Being in that situation? Um, yeah. You know, nothing has happened... Well, one time... Okay, one thing happened. This was ages ago. We were playing on a TV show in... It was in the UK somewhere. I don't remember what the show was, but we were doing like a real... Like a full set of like four or five songs or something. And this was right at the start of that California Dreams tour or that record cycle. And we were doing, I think it was California Girls, the song. Whatever it was, I I remember, uh, you know, playback was off stage. I'm controlling it from my pad and like screen share and everything. And halfway through the song... Oh, so I know what happened. Okay. Someone had patched in our our in-ears, the, the snake was patched wrong. So everybody was on different mixes and it was crazy. And like some people didn't even have a mix. So whatever had happened, some local person had, you know, it was one of the giant snakes and they just kind of, you know, rocked it in the wrong way and like yeah, made, yeah, sure. made it fit somehow. And, uh, Oh my God, that's right. So everybody was freaking out. And by the time we got to this song, we had, this was back, you know, we had two techs and they were scrambling, trying to make everybody happy going back and forth because everybody was freaking out because nobody could hear anything. And, you know, I heard click and a little bit of like room stuff. So I was like, I'm fine. Don't, don't mess with me. I can, I can get through these songs, you know? And while that was happening, uh, a cable that was on top of our playback cube, like our, our flight case, uh, slowly vibrated and fell and landed right on the space bar. <laughs> like, so it was like near the mid to the end of the song, all tracks went out, but we didn't know. Like, I just, I'm assuming I'm looking at, I was looking at playback, but I was kind of in that freak out mode. And I was just assuming that it was more monitor issues you know, and I was like, ah, I'm just going to keep playing. And then there was no click. And I was like, uh, so I looked down and I just hit stop on the pad. You know, I have an all stop pad that if, if everything goes out, I can just stop it. And then we can keep playing. I did that because I wasn't sure if click was still going, if track was doing, cause I, I, I didn't know it had stopped. I thought it was just my in-ears went again. So then we just finished the song without track. And, you know, what, listening back, there's like a noticeable element of stuff that is gone like all the little high-end shakers and like stuff like that yeah sure all of a sudden there's a weird synth sound that's not there anymore it's like oh, okay i i hear it but overall i don't think anybody would have known i i it was fine you know what i mean it was one of those situations where we just kept going but i guess to answer your question i, I had there is a button that or a pad that stops everything and you can get by you can do it when you when you do it this way where it's like the band is doing as much as they can and you know the tracks are supplemental 
you can it still sounds like the song you know what i mean yeah sure it's not like everything went out and you hear like one guitar strumming something that you know isn't even on the record you know it's not like one of those situations so we could still do it won't be as nice but you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah i understand so you are my only guest who's ever played the super bowl so i have to ask what was that like to play the super bowl on a practical level you know sort of how many rehearsals you did and um, yeah. Also, just as an American kid growing up, sort of loving football and just to be there. <laughs> Dude, not only an American kid, I grew up in Barrington, Rhode Island, and the New England Patriots were playing and won that game. <laughs> it was like the every friend that I ever had growing up was hitting me up like, hey, so... Do you need anyone to carry your snare drum to the game? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, sure. But, dude, it was perfect. It was like the perfect storm. You know, Patriots. I mean, Patriots have won for a million years now. but And I know people have issues with the Pats, but, you know. But growing up in New England, that was like the Patriots were the team, you know? Yeah, sure. But, uh, you know, the what an experience, man. What What a gig. Like, I... It was just incredible. You know, we've we've played festivals for you know hundreds of thousands of people and it, there's just something different about doing the halftime show you know we were just we were in the middle of a tour i think we finished australia uh yeah it was australia in december and then the super bowl was you know january something right Isn't that when it yeah something like that <laughs> um so we had like a, a couple of weeks off and then we went into the rehearsals, but we, we had the arrangements all, everything was done while we were still out on tour. And it's yeah. great. Cause when you play in Australia and you're touring, there's everybody, I feel like the entire country comes to these shows. And so you do like four nights in a row in Melbourne and then you go up to Sydney and you do three nights in a row and then you come back to Melbourne and do another three nights and then go back to Sydney. Oh, and wow. it's, it's so awesome. So you're in the same place for weeks at a time, you know, like two weeks yeah. you're spending and you're doing these shows. And so we were able to rehearse and learn those arrangements there and we play them in the arena and we, you know, so we had it all ready to go before we even got into the rehearsals you know and then there was only like two days i think like two full days of field time maybe even one you know i don't even remember if we got more than one day on the field rehearsing like we yeah. did the actual sort of run through with all the stuff um but at that point we knew it like we knew what we were doing you know yeah so we were just pumped to be there <laughs> So I'm not sure if you're able to comment on this, but I've heard different things over the years that certain instruments are live and certain instruments aren't live. I think Mm -hmm. the Chili Peppers sort of had their guitars like purposely not plugged in. What was the situation like for you guys? Yeah, I think it's different. I mean, we played our show, you know, the way we play our show. So tracks, instruments, you know, it was just the like everything you heard was us, you know, was the performance. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, uh, but it was, uh, you know, it it was incredible. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure how other bands do. I've heard rumors of, or, or I've heard the stories. You know, who knows? I don't know. I don't. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know. When you see, you know, Green Day on TV and they're not they're breakdancing because they won't let them play live or something. I, I don't know what happens. Like th- definitely there's an element of that, especially in, in the UK where we are. I mean, they don't, you play like top of the pops or something like they don't let you play. They, they don't, sure, even, yeah. they don't even have the input channels to like, <laughs> to have a band, you know? So, and that's, there's something fun about that too. Like the whole, uh, miming element to things, which is, it can be fun, you know, like there's no pressure. You're just, you're going to go out there and you're going to, you're just going to have fun. And, you know, back in the early days with Katie, sorry to get off topic of the Super Bowl, but no, no. we used to, you know, we used to have fun with it and switch instruments, you know, like we played some crazy, I think it was the NRJ in France. It was some, I think that's what it's called. So it was in an arena and we're playing, we played one song 
but we also I played bass that night, you know, and and it's always <laughs> you know everyone can fake it except the drums that you have to it has to look convincing and like the guitar player moved over to drums and he was doing great and then by the time the second chorus came around he was getting you could see he was getting tired and like <laughs> slowing down starting to lean forward a bit more but but yeah we used to do stuff like that all the time and if there were multiple shoots i think we did something once where you know we were all miming but we there was one somebody had like a fingerless glove and we all for each take we all put everyone took it and put it on a different hand or something something stupid like that so when they <laughs> yeah. edited this multi-shoot thing together if you look closely like you can see this glove move around from person to person in the continuity so you know dumb things like that when you're it can be fun you know like yeah but but the super bowl man i just i can't i still can't believe that i had the opportunity to do that and you know, that she, I mean, and I think she was great. I, I thought it was a really great, like looking back as an observer, I really enjoy that performance too. You know, it was crazy and kooky and totally Katie. You know what I mean? Like she did what she does. And I thought that was really awesome about it. You know, it felt, yeah. it felt true to her thing. So can I just ask you two more quick questions if that's okay? Sure. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I wanted to know what your advice might be to the sort of young musician out there who's looking at what you're doing and thinking, wow, that would be incredible. And yet I'm sure it also seems totally impossible. Do you have any advice um, for the young musician out there who wants to play with a massive pop artist one day? Uh, I mean, recommendation as to how to get there or like what to do. I mean, if you're just starting and you're a drummer and you want to get on those types of gigs, uh, I mean, first of all, practice, obviously practice as much as you can, whenever you can to everything. Don't limit yourself to, I'm going to play, you know, I'm a rock drummer or I'm a whatever, like learn everything because I have incorporated every style that I have ever learned or been, you know, exposed to on the Katie gig in some way or another, you know, we did a whole acoustic record where we were playing five, four jazz and, you know, like stuff like that is, it's always going to be, you, you got to have those kinds of tools ready to go for you. But on the bigger sort of side of things, you know, to play on these big gigs, you got to have good time. You got to have a good feel for the music. Um, it means you're playing to a click track. If you can't play to a click track, you're not going to get that gig, you know? So practice to a metronome. You need, you need that, you know, play with your friends, play music with other musicians. Absolutely. Play along to records, you know, play along to your favorite songs and your favorite drummers. Those are your best teachers. Like that's what I did growing up. I listened to all my favorite drummers and I played along to them and I learned all their licks, you know? And then, but you know, do that, but play to a click, P practice everything you do to a metronome and, you know, at all different tempos, because the same thing that feels something that feels great at 120 is going to feel horrible at 70 or 80, you know? Yeah. So it's just running the whole system and, and just practicing as much as possible. And then, you know, putting yourself, putting the, putting yourself into the opportunity, meaning, you have to get out there. No one's going to, if you're, you're the best musician, best drummer in the world, sitting in your room, putting up Instagram videos. That's awesome. But chances are no one's going to call you. I mean, that's really rare. It could happen, but you know, in this social media world that we live in, but you got to get out there and you got to meet people. And if you're really serious about it, you got to be in a city that it happens from, you know? Yeah. I mean, LA, New York, Nashville, London, like those are still really big places for music and the industry. And, you know, like so much production goes out of LA still, like all TV, all, you know, movies. Most of the sessions, I mean, are happening there. So it's putting yourself in the environment and being ready when that time calls, when that, when that call comes, when the time comes, you know, you got to be ready to step up and do it. Oh yeah, man, that is so good. Um, so last question, which yeah, is sure. an Ableton question. 
Um, for anybody who's just getting started out there with Ableton, do you have any advice on where to get started, how to get started? Um, I mean, geez, it depends on what you're going to use it for, right? I mean, it's great for everything. It's great for recording. It's great for playback. It's great for, you know, great instrument sounds. And I mean, I say just get the program or get the sample of the program and just experiment. Open down, open every drop down menu. Learn about what, if you don't know what something is or you don't understand what it is, go on YouTube, search it. There's a million tutorials up. You know, I didn't, back in 2008, I didn't sort of have that luxury. So I had to call all my friends, literally on the phone, being like, hey, how do you do this? You know, and, you know, luckily I had some really smart friends that were able to, to talk me through a lot of it. But, you know, just open it up and experiment. And, you know, the great thing about Ableton is you can do anything with it, you know. So just be creative and... If, if you run into a barrier, go on YouTube and it'll be right there, ready to go. Like everything, every, anything you need to know about it is, is up there. Yeah, for sure. So lastly, I just wanted to give you a chance to tell people where they can follow you and find you online. Yeah, I mean, I'm on Instagram and Facebook and those types of places. My Instagram, I think it's just adam.marcello. I don't even know. That's so sad. Let's see. What is that? Yeah, Adam. Right. Just Adam. Marcello. M A R C E L L O. You can find me with all my random musings. It's mostly drum stuff, but, you know, every once in a while there'll be some random thing up there. But yeah, man. Check it out. You know, I'll be playing some Katie shows coming up. I mean, they're all. It's, again, there's no tour at the moment with her. Uh, so. It'll just be like random little pop-ups here and there. Okay, Adam, thank you so much. And, you know, thanks again for your time. It has been such, uh, such a pleasure to have you. So thanks again. All right, everybody, that is it. Thank you again for joining me, us on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And if you want to get a hold of me, my email is mrkevinswartwood at gmail.com. Yeah, please reach out and let me know if you got any suggestions for people that you'd like to hear me um, talk to, anything uh, particularly that you'd like me to um, talk about. Just let me know. And thanks again for listening, guys. Really appreciate it.